hope to put in literature form. But in that series, the emphasis wasn't on obedience as much. It was on seeing amazing realities that we often either overlooked or were unaware of in our Bibles. But I want to make sure we're on the same page with this emphasis on obedience. And to do that, I want to highlight a subtle, a very subtle scheme of the devil. It's very subtle. And the reason why it's subtle is because on one level you see it in the Bible, but is it supposed to be how we see it right now? Now, this scheme that I'm talking about is the biblical concept of grace and the biblical concept of works, and that they're mutually exclusive. This is the scheme of the devil. And what it means is if you focus on one, you're neglecting the other. So this is how we process it. If you focus on works, you're neglecting grace. And if you focus on grace, you're neglecting works. But this is not a legitimate biblical dichotomy for the modern church. This is not. Biblically speaking, grace and works were mutually exclusive in the first century when Jews were wrestling with, are we supposed to follow the laws of Moses? Do the works or put faith in Jesus? This was the dichotomy then. Works was getting circumcised and obeying the law of Moses, and grace was not getting circumcised and believing in Jesus. That was the tension in the Bible. That was the grace versus works, biblically speaking. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul is speaking directly to that. He's talking to a church that believed in Jesus, and now all of a sudden is going back to getting circumcised, which is about the law of Moses and the works. And the whole point was, you can't obey God good enough. Now that Jesus has come, what are you doing? And so this is what he says in Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. I would get emails if I said, oh, foolish solid rockets. He said, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? By obeying Moses, getting circumcised? Or did you receive it by hearing with faith? Faith in Jesus Christ. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, the grace, faith in Jesus, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by the works? The grace versus works, biblically speaking, was grace. Don't get circumcised. Don't submit to the law of Moses. That's works and grace was to believe in Jesus, the law of Christ, and follow that. For the first century Jew, this is what we don't understand because we don't come from that. Some of us who didn't grow up in the church, we get saved and we're like, okay, this is different. You come to a church, people act weird, they sing about stuff. It's like, man, what are, we, what, what are they doing here? That's the pastor? I'm him. At least for the foreseeable. So we can understand that, but in their day and age, 
there was an ethnic theological obedience shift. They spent thousands of years believing this is how we live, this is what we believe, and this makes us the people of God. Then Jesus comes and says, okay, all that you were doing is done now. What you thought was your identity for thousands of years is now not. Now to please God, you must believe in me. And people were like, hold on. You, you grew up down the street. You're from Nazareth, fam. Like, we know your peoples. We know your dad. We watched you grow. We're supposed to follow you instead of Moses. Right. It was a theological, it was an ethnic, a Jewish theological obedience shift. That's not our shift. None of us were born under the law of Moses. The shift for us is, let me pursue the pleasures of sin versus now I stop. Let me have sex outside of marriage, then I get saved, now I stop. Let me get high, now I stop. Let me lie, let me steal, let me gossip, let me slander, but now I stop. There is no modern grace verse works. This was a biblical concept, unless you're in maybe a holiness Wesleyan church that believes in perfection, this side of glory. That's not us, though. The grace verse works issue in the Bible was settled in the fourth century when the Bible was put together. It was settled then. Let me tell you what I mean. At the time, people, when they were putting together the 66 books, what are the inspired books of the Bible? Which ones do we trust? There was this big conflict about, do we include the book of James in the Bible? Because James is focusing on works, but Paul is talking about grace. This was a big issue. James is Jesus' brother, but they were like, look, he's talking about works. Paul's talking about grace. But then they figured it out. Here was the problem for them. They would read Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. This is what it says. This is Paul, right? Here's what he said. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that funny? You're saved by grace, not from works, but then we're prepared for works. They were thinking, well, grace, but then James would say this in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Here's what James would say. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So when people say, I believe in God, so does Satan. What does that mean? Okay, you agree with Satan's theology. Even he, atheists don't believe in God, Satan does. He's got better theology than them, even though they worship him. He said in verse 20, do you not want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Wait a minute, that's not what Paul said. It is what Paul said. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. People were confused in the fourth century by this reality. They thought, wait a minute. And then they figured it out. No, this isn't, they're not opposed to each other. James isn't saying works over grace. They realize, no, we're not saved by our works, but we work because we're saved. This is what was happening. We aren't saved. We are saved to work, not saved from work. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, if you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out, not grace out. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He meant it's easy to say I believe in them, but to do the work of actually obeying them is another thing. That's a whole other thing. I think the serpent deceived modern theologians to export a first century ethnic theological issue that was dealing with the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant and imported it into today and created a concept called legalism that deceived many Christians from being diligent about their obedience. You talk about too many sermons on works, it's like, where's the grace? Ask yourself this question. Was Jesus about grace? I think most of us would say yes. Yet he spoke about obedience more than any other topic. In fact, he even tied loving him to works. John 14, 15, here's what he said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do the works of obedience. Not if you love me, you will be like grace. These are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. Listen, in the last season, the last year and a half, we didn't focus that much on obedience. Sure, there were things at the end of that series that we got into. What, what, what role do demons have in the life of a Christian and how do we, all that stuff was there, right? But the large emphasis in the last series was not obedience. But we didn't move from grace and amazing facts to works. They're not mutually Exclusive. If you're going to be faithful to what the Bible teaches, no matter what series we're going through, at some point, we're going to have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? How are we doing? And are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? We've been given a precious gift, a new identity in Christ. Just because some people walk away from the faith or they're not faithful in their obedience, that doesn't mean the gift isn't precious. 
Every time I hear about a scandal from another pastor, it doesn't make me feel like, oh, no, I need to. This pastor committed adultery. This did this. Okay, I'm never going to meet with a woman unless there's 10 people around. I'm not overreacting because some other pastor failed. I'm just trying to, that reminds me, don't you fail. We don't neglect it and, 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 and somehow disavow the precious gift of an identity in Christ because these folks abuse it. We just learn and say, okay, I'm not trying to be self-righteous, but I'm trying to press in. We've been given a, a, a wonderful identity, but that identity comes with a responsibility. But we've been deceived. It's no, there's no, it's not grace or works. You know what it is? It's grace works. You would appreciate that. I'll be here till Thursday. It's not, it's not grace versus works, it's grace works. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're trying to demonstrate it. And this is what's happened in the modern church. People fighting over grace versus works. So pastors don't want to spend too much time talking about obedience because it feels like works, even though people in the church are tripping, wilding. And you don't say nothing. Oh, we just want to focus on grace. Yeah, okay. I, wanna, I want you to focus on when Jesus says to you, let's evaluate your life. And I'm many things, and I will have to give an account for many things, but the one thing the Lord is not going to say to me is you didn't tell him the truth. This is a subtle scheme of the devil. Grace and works are not mutually exclusive categories. Grace works. It's the only reason why we do obey God. Why we have a desire because of grace. These were only opposed to each other in the transition from the Old Testament, Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We are not in that transition. So please, please understand the emphasis on obedience here. Whether my tone is strong or soft, the emphasis is biblical. God is not like, whoa, Kurt, where's the grace? No, there's grace that works. If grace is the opposite of work and all this stuff, then why did Jesus talk about hell? Do you know that there's grace in warnings? You know, when I go on, I go on trips sometimes, and I got, sometimes I fly, I get flown out to preach in other places, sometimes I'll drive. And I'm getting older, but I still, because I'm still, I'm an ex-gangster, I still think I can sleep for three hours and drive for 10 and be good, right? So I'm in the car, I'm good, chilling. Music is up, whatever. Listening to my album. <laughs> hey, listen, I don't, I don't care what nobody says. Nobody, everybody listens to their own music. Everybody does. You are lying if you think not, or you've never done no music. Pumping my album, play somebody else, and be like, nah, put mine back on. I know this isn't really, this probably isn't helpful right now. And if you're a guest, I apologize, but we, <laughs> we reel around here. We're not impressive, but we're not impressed either. So if this is your first and last time coming, thank you. <laughs> we are going to be solid rock. But sometimes when you drive and you get tired, right? And I be trying to pretend like I'm good. Let me crack the window. Let me chew some gum. Let me do something, right? But every once in a while, the Lord is like, you ain't that gangster, bro. 
and the nod off comes. And then you hear this. <laughs> hey, who did that? That was the road, Poppy. Or Giovanni, he always catches me. He's like, Poppy, what were you doing? I'm like, what did you think I was doing? Did you, you daydreaming? Did you nod off, Poppy? I was like, you know what, Vava, you caught me, son. Let me, let me press in. But that in the road is purposely put there so that you hear that when you're driving and wake you up. It's a warning. Now, you can be irritated at the noise or grateful because that noise may save your life. Warnings save your life. Warnings from God remind us, don't play around with him. That's what they're for. Just because other people do it and God, and God seems to let people do it, don't think that there's no consequences. Jesus talked about hell a ton. There was grace in the warnings. And the grace is to remind those of us who were saved by it to work. This is a false dichotomy. Do not believe it anymore. I don't know anyone in this room, and I don't know everybody, I don't know anyone in this room that's trying to earn their salvation. Let me tell you why this is dangerous, and we're going to hit this next week. Because Jesus said countless times, you should work to earn rewards. I know Christians who think, well, I don't want to try to earn nothing from God. I do. But we'll get, that's next week's message. It's not grace versus works, brothers and sisters. It's grace works. Amen? At the beginning of last week's message, I asked this question. I asked, do you really want to go to heaven? Do you really? At the end of last week's message, I said this, that heaven is not about escaping suffering, but about being in the presence of the sufferer forever. And I said, but we can't just live in God's presence forever. We're not ready for that. And then I said that people get confused about what obedience is. I said, we think obedience is about not going to hell. And I said, it is not. We think obedience is about not going to hell. I said, it is not. Let me explain what I mean today. Let's go back to our passage from last week, Revelation 22. Verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. Read with me again. Then, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be, be will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. In verse 3, it says that servants, those of us who are believers in Jesus, it says that we will worship him. Servants of Jesus will worship Jesus in heaven. 
Do you realize that to worship someone, you must be in agreement with that someone? You realize that, right? If you worship someone, you're in agreement with that someone. People that worship Satan are in agreement with them, right? If you worship someone, you're in agreement. You agree with that person's character. Why would you worship him if you didn't? If you worship someone, you agree with his worldview. I know these people, so I don't listen to Taylor Swift. That's probably obvious. Well, there was one song that was, it was tough. I'll give her that. I think it was 2014. There was one song that was tough. But I'm not a Taylor Swift fan myself. If you gave me tickets, I would thank you and sell them. what we do. Remember, we DMV zone, right? I was selling. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. But there are a lot of people that are, and it is amazing to me. So I watch this. I don't have TikTok. I don't, I don't, but I, on YouTube, they will show videos of people's TikToks. So I don't watch TikTok. This is enough, it'd be, I'd be there all until Jesus came back. He'd be like, what are you doing, friend? I wouldn't even show up here. It's, it's so much foolishness on TikTok. It's enough to make you laugh until you die. So there was a video when the caption said, it was a husband saying, my wife really wants Taylor Swift tickets. So she gets to the car, opens the door up, and she has these two dresses. Oh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited. I can't wait to get the tickets. And I'm, what do you think? I think I want to wear this dress, but I might wear this one. And she's all excited. He was like, babe, we don't have tickets. And she was like, don't say that. And at first I thought it was a skit, like, oh, they just playing. But then I looked into her eyes and I was like, man, she looks hurt. And so he said it again, babe, we don't have tickets. Don't you say that. How dare you? We're going. I'm going to see Taylor Swift. And then she started singing one of her songs. And then the video cut off. And I had two thoughts. That poor dude. <laughs> that poor dude. What in the world has happened? And then I thought, wow, the worship of Taylor Swift has these people delusional, or Beyonce, or Nicki, whoever it is. When you worship somebody, you agree with their character, you agree with their worldview, you have their likes and dislikes. In many ways, you worship the people you want to be like. This is the nature of worship. Because worship will be included in heaven, it means that there must be full agreement with the object of heaven, Jesus. We have to agree with him. And this is why I said we misunderstand the purpose of obedience. We think obedience is so we don't go to hell. No. Obedience is learning to live in agreement with God in heaven. We are learning to live in agreement. We're learning by faith because we're not there. We've never seen it. We are learning by faith to live in agreement with God while we're here. This is a foreign concept to us because you don't have to want to be like me to come into my home. You can come. You have to at least like me. Or play it off. 
But you don't have to be like me. I don't have to be like you to come into your own. That's a foreign concept to us. But to God, you have to be like him to come into his home. You can't. We have to be like him to come into his home. That's the reality. And to be like him, we must love righteousness. People think when they die, they're going to automatically transform. That's not how it works. You die and then receive judgment. And if you make it, then you're transformed. You will die and stand before God with the same passion and values and stuff that you lived. When you stand before God, you haven't gotten a glorified body yet. We will all be evaluated. Death makes no immediate alterations. So if we don't love righteousness here, we're not going to love it in eternity. That's a different conversation. We'll touch on that more next week. To be like him, we must love righteousness. Jesus makes this clear in the opening moments of the most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to Matthew 5. Let's walk through this, because some of you don't believe me. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. If I'm wrong, I'll own it. But if I'm not, you own it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse 2. Here's what it says. Ten verses. Jesus makes this clear. That obedience here, character here, is for heaven. It's in this life, but it's for the next life. This is what he says. Beginning of verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Remember, on my account. On my account. Because you're a believer. It says, rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus begins his sermon with like nine categories of character and attaches to each of those character traits eternity. Eternity. He says, these character traits that you have right here now make you blessed because you get rewards for them later. This list is not comprehensive, but it is indicative it's indicative to what God is saying about those whom heaven is for. Now, I don't know all the nuances I'm not going to get into, but what about if we do? all of us struggle with sin? We get that. But here's what you have to remember. God knows, he knows who really loves him. 
You can fool me, I can fool you. I can make you think I'm one way and you find out Pastor Kurt was another way. Pastors do it all the time. Lay people do it all the time. There are people who I thought were strong with me and with the Lord and they not. It is what it is. We persevere to the end regardless. But he knows who genuinely believes in him. He knows who's quietly sacrificing, resisting, giving in to sin, trying to do right. He knows that. You can fool me. I can fool you. But none of us will fool him. So Jesus says a lot about who the kingdom of heaven is for. And what he says primarily is this is the character of people who will be in heaven. I ask you this question sincerely as your friend and pastor because I ask myself this question. Where are you on this list? Where are you on this list? I am missing in some of these categories to my shame. I'm missing. There's a few of these I can claim. But I can't claim them all to my shame. Can you? Where are you on this list? The Lord is going to ask some of you, why were you even going to church? Why were you even going to church? To hear Kurt talk, you like the way he talked? Cool, I gave him the gift to communicate. To go to lunch with people afterwards, okay, yeah. But you didn't come because you wanted to follow me. Church attendance has nothing to do with obeying God. Nothing. Even me preaching messages has nothing to do with obeying God. I got to work. Preaching is nothing. The Lord is not impressed. He doesn't think I'm that funny. I'm that talented. No, he gave that. What's impressive, what makes you blessed is this. Where are you in this list? And don't tell me, oh, oh that's not grace, Pastor Kurt. That's, this is what Jesus said. No, it's very much grace. You've heard me say this for years. I would much rather you all be offended at something I said than God be offended at something you did. Are you on this list? Let's look at each of these individually, and we're going to do something different. I don't usually do this, but I thought, you know what, let's do this today. I am going to read... We're going to look at each of these, porn spirit, those who want blood. We're going to look at each of these, and I'm going to read a small portion from my favorite commentary series, the Pillar New Testament, so you can hear what other theologians are saying about each of these. All right, let's go with porn spirit. Bless our porn spirit, Matthew 5, 3. Here's what the theologian says. The porn spirit, in the sense of this beatitude, are those who recognize that they are completely and utterly destitute in the realm of the spirit. They recognize their lack of spiritual resources and therefore their complete dependence on God. This is the man to whom I will look, the Lord says. He that is humble and contrite in spirit 
and trembles at my word, Isaiah 66, 2. He said, these are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? This isn't about works. This isn't about, this is, this isn't grace, grace works. It's grace working in this area. Blessed are those who mourn, 5-4. He says, it may be that Jesus is saying that our values are wrong and that it is those who mourn in the face of the evils that are a part and parcel of life as we know it, those who mourn over the way God's cause is so often neglected and his people despised who are the truly blessed ones. The psalmist could say, my eyes shed streams of tears because men do not keep thy law. Psalm 119, 136. It is to such that Jesus holds out the prospect of ultimate consolation. Now they mourn, but now is not always. God's ultimate triumph, and with it, comforting of those who have grieved over evil, is sure. I'm not asking, do you mourn over the sins of the world? But do you mourn over your own sins? When's the last time you cried out to God because you just haven't been prioritizing? Are your prayers always asking God for something? Listen, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And he connects it to eternity. The Lord been punching me in the face. I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount off and on for the last couple weeks. He's been punching me in the face. Blessed are the meek. He says, meekness is another word for self-effacement. We should not miss the point that in all three of the opening Beatitudes, the truth is brought out that the follower of Jesus does not aggressively insist on his own rights, but displays genuine humility. This is an important statement for the modern American church. You know how many people have left churches because they have, they're entitled for the pastors or whatever to do a certain thing? They're entitled to hear certain things, entitled for the pastor to condemn this thing and condemn that thing, entitled to tell people to get the, get the jab or not get the jab, entitled to pick a theological distinction, entitled to do all these things, entitled to be... You're just not meek. You're just not meek. There is no entitlement. And only entitlement in God for us is we're entitled to go to hell. He says, true meekness may be a quality of the strong, those who could assert genuine dependence on God. True meekness may be a quality that those who could exert authority choose not to do so. The strong who qualify for this blessing are the strong who decline to domineer. Self-assertion is never a Christian virtue. Rather, it is, it is the Christian to be busy in lowly service and to refuse to engage in the conduct that merely advances one's personal aim. This is, this is the quality of people who go to heaven. I'm not, I'm just asking, are you meek? 
are you trying to be? If you complain, you're not meek. Because complaining means you're entitled to something. You're not entitled to anything. We're not. If you complain about this or complain about I don't like this, I don't like that. Well, the Lord will tell you, I didn't like that. Is this in your life? Are you in this list so far? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is speaking of an intense longing after righteousness that may be liking to both hunger and thirst. Everyone now and then does what is right. But Jesus is pointing his hearers not to occasional acts, but to a passionate concern for the right. Righteousness is a rich and full concept. But whichever way we understand it, it is a righteousness that people cannot produce of themselves. We are to do our best and we may be able to avoid the gutters of life. But this righteousness is a gift of God. And of those who have it, this wholehearted longing for the right, Jesus says, they will be filled. Some of us cry at a sad moment in a movie. It gets us. The music, the setup, the camera angle. As a dad of three boys, if I watch any movies that have to do with a dad and his boys, Man, I'm up there blubbering. My kids ain't crying. They look back and be like, Pop, you all right, man? Go ahead, man. Y'all going to learn one day. There are songs that remind We cry at songs. When's the last time you cried because, man, Lord, I'm not honoring you the way that I should? When's the last time you really thought, man, I really want to honor the Lord, and you're affected emotionally? You are mourning over that. Has that ever happened for you? Jesus said, you'll be filled. Is this works? Is this works without grace? No. This is how grace works. Remember when Jesus rolled in a donkey and wept over Jerusalem? He wept because like, man, y'all keep killing the prophets. He wept coming on a donkey, coming in, saying, y'all keep killing the prophets. What are y'all doing? Do you know how much you're loved by me? And you keep, and you're going to kill me. Blessed are the merciful. This beatitude is relatively straightforward. People who show mercy on others will, will themselves be recipients of mercy. The adjective for merciful, found elsewhere in the New Testament only in Hebrews 2.17, means that those whose bent is to show mercy not those who engage in an occasional merciful impulse. So he's not saying, hey, every once in a while you give money to somebody on the side of the road. He's saying, but your actual orientation is to be merciful. 
He says, such people will receive mercy, a truth we often observe in this life. But Jesus is surely referring basically to an eschatological truth. That means end times. It means in the end. Eschatological, it means the end. He's talking about in heaven. There are people who show by their habitual merciful deeds that they have responded to God's love and are living by his grace. They will receive mercy on the last day. Blessed are the pure in heart. This beatitude thus leads us to purity at the very center of our being. This is no truism. Jesus later said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. This is in Matthew 15, verse 19. The heart is not the place where we naturally expect purity, but Jesus demands purity right there. To be pure in heart is to be pure throughout. And the consequences of this kind of purity is that they will see God. There is a sense and a measuring in which this is true of life here and now. The pure in heart see God in a way that the impure never know. But the main thought is surely eschatological. It points us to a vision too wonderful to be fully experienced in this life, but that will come to its consummation in the world to come. Are you pure in heart? Listen, these are the character qualities that Jesus is saying heaven is for. Blessed are the peacemakers. There is a quality of peaceableness, a disinclination to engage in disputes that is admirable. But Jesus is talking about more than that. And I love this because some people our introverts have a certain disposition. They don't, they're not real argumentative. So just by the way God created you, you can be peaceful. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the disposition that you were given by God as part of your personality trait. He refers not to peacekeepers, but to peacemakers. People who end hostilities and bring the quarrelsome together. All God points out that these are not appeasers, but those who actively overcome evil with good. A person may be known as the one who ends hostilities throughout the whole sphere of life, whether that sphere be great or small. Are you a peacemaker? Or do you like gossip? Talk about people. You like that. Do you laugh when you hear about something that something happened to somebody? Consequences of something. Is that funny to you? It's funny to some people. Let's see if God laughs when you stand before him. Because he will remember all of it. And he's going to ask us about it. And hearing God, seeing God look at us and say, why was that funny to you? I died because of that sin. Why did you laugh at that? Oh, because you didn't struggle with it. Each of these qualities has heaven as its reward. Poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn shall be comforted. Remember Revelation 21.4? Remember that? Last week or the week before? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The meek shall inherit the earth. 
Remember Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Notice that every one of these all has an eschatological. It's all in eternity. People be wanting a blessing now. Where's the blessing? I read all three days in a row. Where's the check, Lord? Where's the husband? Where's this? I, I've been, oh, you know, I've been trying to, I don't know. But I know in, in, when we get there, it's going to be different. He remembers. He got you. Hung and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. The merciful shall receive mercy. Pure in heart, they shall see God. Peacemakers called sons of God. All of these qualities are aspects of obedience that God says you have to have now that prepare us to live in his presence later. You can't just come to his home. You can come to my home and be however. But to come to his home, you have to be like him. And you have to love what he loves. Listen, we're not given the fruits of the Spirit in heaven. We're given rewards for demonstrating them on earth. Don't let anybody fool you in thinking that works is somehow legalism or dumb and that God cares. I, 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 I guarantee you God is not like, hey, y'all are obeying too much. Grace, <laughs> chill out, fam. Hey, Kurt, you going too hard. Back up, bro. I don't think anybody's going to hear that from the Lord. Man, you was working too much down there, but we was up here like, whoa, look at him go. I don't think anybody's going to hear that. I don't know what it's going to take for somebody to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. But I don't think many people are going to hear that. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not the Lord. I might stand before him and be like, man, what'd you say that for? I just thought it was true, Lord. I didn't. This is why obedience is so important. Obedience is not about not going to hell. One, it's about learning to live in his presence forever. And to do that, you have to be like him. The other thing that obedience, it's not about going to hell. Obedience the flip side is learning to hate sin. To be like God, you just don't love righteousness. You have to hate unrighteousness. That's it. And if we're, well, let's be honest. None of us hate it the way we should. We all tolerate some level of unrighteousness. But, but as we're growing, it should get less and less and less and less, especially in our own lives. Obedience is learning to hate sin. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 1 through 6. He says, it's my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen to that. He is the propitiation for our sins. That just means he satisfied God's anger. The propitiation means satisfied the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God, propitiation for our sins. 
And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right? So he gives us this, like, hey, if you sin, Jesus got you. Right? But then he says this to make sure people don't think, okay, good. I'm good. Like, if I sin, Jesus, I'm forgiven. It's God's job to forgive. It is not. It's God's decision to forgive. It's not his job. So there are going to be people who ask for forgiveness, but they're going to hit nope. If it's his job, he has to always do it. If it's his choice, he forgives whoever he wants to forgive. So we get this in verses 1 and 2, and then in verse 3, he shifts the focus. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. How? If we talk about grace. He said if we keep his commandments, if grace works in our lives, we keep his commandments. And he says in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I think there are people in this room who say, I know him, but you have serious, willful sin in your life. And I think God would say, you're a liar. I think he would say that. I know him, but don't keep his commandments. Welcome to Solid Rock. We're going to be honest here. We go after this stuff for real. He said he's a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word. Not, not flawlessly, right? Verses 1 and 2. If we sin, we have an advocate before the Father. God understands the difference between struggling with sin and not tripping off of it. He knows the difference. He knows the difference. I bet you there are people who come to our church with great reform. Some people come, hear a word like this, and they'd be like, I ain't going here. And we're good with that. We understand that. That happens. All the pastors who are real popular be doing wild and crazy gimmicky stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in eternity. It's a lot of gimmicky, playing around stuff, entertaining people. I crack jokes, too. I'm good with that. But there comes a time where it's like, you know what, man? The word is serious. Now I need to prepare our church. And if y'all don't respond to it, I can't make you. But when I stand before God, he is not going to accuse me of being a coward and not saying it. That matters to me. When I stand before him, the one thing, it's a couple things I got to be like, man, Lord, I, what am I going to say? You know everything. Tell me why I really did it. <laughs> what you going to say back to him? Why did you do that? I, I, stop. <laughs> Let me tell you what was really going on. What am I going to say to the Lord? But there's certain things I'm determined he's not going to say to me. And one of them is that we don't be honest about this dichotomy of grace and works that we, as if they're mutually exclusive. No. The emphasis in the New Testament for those of you in this room who say you're believers is on obedience, not on this ideological concept of grace that somehow doesn't challenge, doesn't correct, doesn't mind if you sin in serious ways because of grace. No, I think God minds if we do that. He's understanding that we'll fail, so we get, we're forgiven. But he knows the difference between trying and not tripping. And so if you're trying, keep going. But if you're not tripping, be warned. It says whoever, verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfect, perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. This is how we know we're in him. How we know we're saved. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
to go to Jesus's home, you have to be like him. You just can't agree with him. You can't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. This isn't about earning nothing. It's about demonstrating. Grace works. We get grace when we fall into sin. Verses 1 and 2. But there's an expectation to be like him in regards to sin in verses 3 and 4. Because you can't be playing with sin and say, I know him. Listen, we're always going to welcome people to our church. We ain't going to never say, like, you can't be here. But if you saying you're a Christian and you in serious sin and not tripping, then you don't know him. Now, we'll still hang with you. You can still come by the house, get some chicken or something, watch the game. If you're with me and Warren, we're going to get some shrimp. You can do all that. We'll take you out to lunch, hang out with you, pray for you, do all that. That ain't going to change, but you're not a Christian, according to the Bible. And we're not going to pretend we'll love you, but we ain't going to pretend that you're something that you're not. And honestly, none of us should. I do not think God is like, Kurt, where did grace at for them? Not the way the enemy's been attacking our church. No siree, Bob. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Here's what he says. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. All the stuff we see in entertainment. All the stuff we see in entertainment. Look, I got bars. Been rapping for a long time, but most of the rap, it's all that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. Big jewelry, girls, money, arrogance, all of that. That's all we see. That's all we see. Entertainment. That's all we see. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the boasting of what he has and does. There was a point one time, there was a deodorant that was advertising, if you use this, you're going to get girls. Enticing people to buy the product by lust. This is the world. He said, if you love that stuff, he said, that's not from the Father, but it's from the world. In verse 17, then the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We must hate unrighteousness here to live in eternal righteousness there. So do you really want to go to heaven where he is? You don't have to always answer. Or do you really, do you really want to go to heaven? Or do you want to go to a heaven that escapes hell? Because there's no such thing. The heaven that we're going to is about him and being in his presence forever. And the people that will be, here, be there will have aspired to be like him while they were here. That's just the reality. This has been a theme all throughout the Bible. Listen to this, Psalm 97.10. says this, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. That's how it starts off, Psalm 97.10. Oh, you who love the Lord, Hate evil. 
Just like that. No playing around, no sauce. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. That's Psalm 9710. If you love the Lord, hate evil. It's Old Testament. Psalm 101, verses 3 and 4. It says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. Listen to that. I hate the work of those who fall away. He didn't say, I hate the people that fall away, but I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I'm not going to be like them. I'm not compromising because other pastors have or other people do. I'm not compromising because my friends have. I'm not compromising because members of the church have. You shouldn't compromise because other people do. That doesn't make grace less amazing. It just means it's less amazing to them. I tell my sons this all the time. Son, you don't, listen, you can hang with, one of my sons was like, Papi, it's hard to kind of follow the Lord. And I said, I know, son, it is. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, I just feel like I have to give up my friends who are not Christian. I said, no, that's not what it means to follow the Lord, son. I said, you can hang with those dudes, just don't do what they do. You don't have to always talk the way they talk or look at the video. You don't have to do that. I said, part of honoring the Lord, I said, you got to be around them people. And that's the lot. That's the Lord. We, you in public school, we get it. We're not, we're, not, we're not putting our kids out of public school unless something tragic happens. They're doing all right. Two sons made the honor roll. They're doing all right. They're fighting. But it was like, man, it's hard sometimes. I said, I get it, son. One of my sons came home. Kept getting teased at school by somebody, and people were laughing at him, and he got really angry. And he said he cussed. I said, what'd you say? And he said, I don't want to say it. I said, nah, son, what'd you say? And so he repeated what he said. He told me what they said to him, repeated what he said, and I busted out laughing. <laughs> I was crying, and I gave him that. And I said, son, listen, sometimes we're hurt, we're offended, and we lash out. You are forgiven for that. And I said, I understand why you said that. And that particular word captures certain things that some other words don't. Let's not make it a habit of doing that. But I get it. Busted out laughing. And then he started laughing. I just hugged him and said, son, I ain't mad, man. I ain't tripping. Because I know you. Keep going. Keep going. I said, personally, if they make fun of you again, I think you should punch them. <laughs> and he was like, really? Would you be mad? I said, nah, if you, unless you lose. <laughs> we can talk about that later. I'd rather prepare them to be tough than be a sucker. We can help them be soft later. Right now, don't let nobody carry you, son. We'll get to that. I'm, I'm kidding, sort of. I ain't telling him to punch somebody. But I told him, if, well, never mind, that's not helpful right now. <laughs> not helpful. But I understood. I understood his anger. And as his dad right there, I knew he needed to know I'm with him. I get it. I understand. Son. You're not on punishment. I get it, man. You, tough situation. The whole, the whole gym class laughing at you. Hey, I've, I've done worse. I shot at people in my pride. Amos 5, 14 and 15, he says, seek good 
and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Verse 15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Listen, hate evil and love good. This is a theme that has been throughout the Bible. Now we jump to the New Testament, Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor, which means hate. What is evil? Hold fast to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is, this is just the reality. To be in the presence of God, we must be like him. And we're all going to have areas where we fall short. Some of us are obvious more than others. But part of being like God, what obedience is for, is learning how to hate evil and love good. This is why the consequences for sin or the discipline for sin, this is why it happens. Many of us have been conditioned to think that when consequences happen, it's God hating us. Uh-uh. What God is doing is teaching us to hate sin. So when you're getting them consequences, when stuff happens, and there are repercussions, it makes you think twice about doing that again. There's a reason why there's consequences on God hates you. Consequences that help us hate sin. I don't want to do this again. Because sometimes I don't love God enough to not sin, but I don't want that consequence, though. This is the reality. Obedience is not about escaping hell. It's about learning to live in the presence of God forever. And to live in his presence, we must love what he loves and we must hate what he hates. This is why in the, at the end of the last series and even a little bit in this series, this is why I've been banging that drum about because the other, there's another dynamic here. Remember, I don't know if I, I said this in the, earlier in this series. I made a point. I said, you know, people you know, will leave churches because they want to experience like manifestations of the spirit. They want supernatural stuff, right? And I said, how come I don't hear people leave because they want to manifest the fruits of the Spirit? I don't ever hear people be like, man, I want to be, be more loving, more patient, more kind, more faithful, more gentle. I'm leaving a church because I, people leave churches because they want to speak in tongues more and, and heal and do all this stuff. That's why I said people, the Bible is character over charismatic. I know more believers that think being like God is being supernatural. But the biblical evidence shows the contrary. We'll close with this. Look at Matthew 7. The scariest passage for most people. Here's what God says, beginning in verse 21. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We all know this verse, right? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, when he will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's just make a couple observations. Let me ask two questions. Why did they think they made it to heaven? Why did they think? They said, we prophesy because we prophesy. We casted out demons and did many mighty works. 
keep in mind that each time they named those, they added this clause, the sentence, in your name. They didn't just do these things. They did them in your, we prophesied in your name. We casted out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. All gifts of the Spirit. But why did he say they didn't make it? Even though he didn't say you didn't do these things in my name. He didn't say that. Why did he say they didn't make it? He called them workers of lawlessness. The Greek word, anomia. It means lawlessness. I hate when they do that. What does it mean, lawlessness? It means transgression, evil, evil conduct, iniquity, wickedness. Their habitations are wicked. They did all these mighty works in his name. But the one work that they didn't do was work on their character. And so he said, I don't know you. They wanted supernatural giftings. He wanted supernatural character. And so they're not fit to stand in his presence. Remember, Judas casted out demons, did many mighty works in his name, and prophesied in his name. Judas was given the same thing. So pursue that if you want, but please have character to go with it because that does not qualify you to stand in his presence forever, even when it's in his name. The works that he wants done in his name are the works of character. They didn't work on their character. To go to heaven, you have to love what he loves and hates what he hates. This is what obedience is for. This is what consequences are obedience for. It's training us. Lose the grace versus works dichotomy. It's a, it's a scheme of the devil. God is not up there telling you to work less, strive less. There's no biblical passages that say that anywhere in the New Testament. I could have given you 20 more passages that emphasize striving, working hard, telling us to spur one another on the love and good works. Peter said, make your calling and election sure in 2 Peter 1.10. He didn't say, make sure you talk about grace a lot. Because in their minds, they're not mutually exclusive. Grace works. If you have faith, if you are saved, then you will have works that demonstrate it. That's just a biblical reality. So if you really want to go to heaven, the real heaven, then we have to learn how to be like him here. Because personality, influence, Gifting, those don't get you into heaven. By the grace of God, I will make it, and it won't be because I was a pastor or a good communicator. There are people way more gifted than me, way better communicators than me. Who cares? By the grace of God, if I make it, when I make it, 
It'll be because I'm trying to really honor him. I'm trying to honor him when none of y'all are around. When only he sees what's going on in the heart. He sees the struggle. Anybody can stand up here and do this and be like, yeah, that was a good word, Pastor Kirkman. I was, thank you. But I want the Lord to say, you had a good life. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. May that never be anyone who is a member of this church. And I will do everything I can to help that not be the case. Because apart from me, I never knew you was the worst words we could hear. And by the grace of God, many, hopefully all of us, are not going to hear that. We're not saved by our works, but we work because we're saved. Press in, brothers and sisters. We all have weaknesses. God forgives us for that. Press in. Keep going. It's hard, but it's right. You're learning how to be like him. Fail, get back up. Keep going. To the end, brothers and sisters. To the end. If they fall off, to the end. If they fall off, to the end. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just... We want to get rid of the things that will hinder us from genuinely honoring you. And sometimes we just we're just we're very immature in many ways, Lord, and we hold on to these concepts like grace versus works as if talking about works is somehow the absence of grace. And and so we don't want to do too much because we don't want to be about works. No, that's not what you said. That was for the Jews in the transition between the old and new covenant. That's not for us today. Father, I pray that you would help us, starting with me. I am not trying to teach this and stand before you. You know that I, I am not looking forward to standing before you and giving an account. I got weaknesses that you're going to tell me about. But you also know that there's, that I'm, tr I'm striving. I want to honor you, Lord. Our church wants to honor you, Lord. Despite some of our weaknesses and our failings, you've made it clear in your word that you forgive. But help us to not presume on that grace. May these mornings be the brr in the road of our pursuit of eternity. May messages jolt us, not for the purpose of trying to make people question their salvation, nah, but to work out that salvation. I'm not here to make people feel assured. I'm here to remind people to be sure. We have enough confidence by your word, but Lord, help us to continue to press in. None of us are striving too hard to honor you, that we need to slow down a little bit. But as we've seen and know for the last few months, the enemy has been coming at us as a church. And I am I'm grateful and I'm proud, Lord, to be a pastor of a church where people are doubling down. There are people in this room that had every reason to walk away from you, and they're doubling down. They take the tough words. They take the reality of your verses. They take the heartache. They take the suffering. They take the consequences, and they turn them into learning 
how to hate unrighteousness and love it. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who, does, who is living in an unrighteous way. Your word says that they don't know you if that's them. And we're not here to shame anyone, Lord. We've all are capable of and have been in that place. There were times I had no business being in church because I really wasn't tripping. But you were merciful to me. And now you have me here in your humor as a pastor. The dude that was facing 43 years in prison for all kinds of wickedness. Now I'm sitting up here instructing people from your word. I can't wait to get a good laugh with you about that. But while I'm here, I want to be faithful. And while we're all here, Lord, help us to be faithful. And I thank you for those in this room who are faithful. Lord, these messages are not to rattle people's faith, but to remind them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. That's your word. My job is not to downplay your word, but to remind us, to say it loud so that we take it seriously. May that be the case for all of us, that when our day comes, we will worship you, seeing you face to face, because we're like you. And we're learning here. We're not just trying to escape hell. We're trying to live in your presence forever. For your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kurt, for that word and for exposing that scheme of the devil. Um, I'm sure it's going to be something we're all going to have to think about and wrestle with over this next few days and um, in our groups and things like that this week. Um, we do wrestle have with questions. this for the rest of our lives. Yeah, bro. right. <laughs> this is the way, Mandalorian. If Speaking you know, of you listening know. to your own music. <laughs> Always. I'm going to listen to my album on the way out. Um, we do have some questions this morning, sure. as I'm sure you anticipated. <laughs> Let's get it. Um, can you give an example of what it looks like to, to hate sin? To hate sin? To hate sin. So I would say personal sin or sins in the culture. So hating sin would be like hating, you know, hearing about sex trafficking, Right? that kids are taken, kidnapped, and thrown into a world where they're forced to have sex, hating that would have a disdain towards that, would even, to some degree, I think, where possible, even emotionally affected at those things. I think to talk about those things in negative terms and to view them in negative terms and seeing that as sin against the Lord that is worthy of judgment. Wanting people to, to change that, to repent of that, that's all, I think, a part of hating sin on a more corporate level. On a personal level, I think it's, I think there's a place for being angry at self for giving in to some sin. And I think, for biblically speaking, to hate sin, call it what it is. Don't give it a different name. Don't, you know, don't call it like, you know, oh, I'll just, I'm just having a, a blah day. Nah, you, you're, irrit you're irritable. You, how do you go after a blah day? What verse is that, right? I think for us to hate sin, we have to call it what it is. Lord, please forgive me for 
Don't, well, I was tired, I was this and that. Just say what it is. Because there's no scriptures that say, hey, resist this unless you're really tired or unless you're sick or unless you've been fighting for most of the day, but now. So I think a lot of learning to hate sin is to be, at times, angry at self for giving in to sin, asking the Lord for forgiveness and naming specifically what it is, and then I think trying to understand why did I do this? What was I thinking and doing that allowed me to do this? That's how you grow to hate sin. Because the Lord doesn't always give us consequences for sin. He doesn't. He does. It's not like every time you sin, you know, we think like, oh, no, I'm getting a car accident or something. You know, you'd be terrorized. The Lord doesn't do that. Sometimes he's like, listen, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let's, what is this? What it, say what it is biblically. I think we confuse ourselves by coming up with terms that, like I remember when people started talking like you're gaslighting or you're a narcissist, all these terms, you're a social justice warrior. I was like, hey, bro, so, okay, let's just say that the Bible, what am I supposed to do with that? How do I repent of being a social justice warrior? What verse is gaslighting? What verse is that? What verse? I don't know what that stuff is. I was like, oh, so you say I'm lying? Okay, then tell me that I'm lying, and then I need to go after lying. Don't, we come up with all these terms, and then we don't know what to do with them. Call it what God calls it, so then you can talk, you think about the way God thinks about it. Once you call it all these other things, you're not thinking about it the way God thinks about it. I used to think, what, a narcissist, what does that mean? Who isn't narcissistic by definition? Who isn't that? You're a narcissist. Well, join the club. Like, I, what are we talking about here? What is, tell me what that is biblically. What are you saying I am biblically that I'm doing that I need to go after? When I use these catch-all terms, I have no idea what to do with them. So I dismiss them, and there may be something in the Lord wants me to see. Call it what it is biblically so that you can see. Call it what God calls it. That'll help you be more like him. So. And that's a great point. Um, along those lines, is there any other recommendations you would give for how we cultivate that conviction and cultivate um, how we approach that on a daily level? How do we cultivate that desire for righteousness and obedience? So I think, look at the Beatitudes. Like, I mean, like, I, I sometimes, and I appreciate all the questions, every one of them. You guys do a great job thinking through, and I'm honored to be in a church where people are asking, how do we apply thinking through that? But sometimes, like, I just taught it. Like, sometimes just, I'm not going to give a whole bunch of new verses. I just told that message on it. Go read the Beatitudes and be like, oh, do you do all of those things? Like, start there. Like, okay, what does it look like to be, to mourn? Blessed are those, who, what does it look like to be a peacemaker? What does it look like to be pure in heart? Like, take the passages that you've heard, ask yourself questions, right? And just pick one and go after that. You can't do all of them right away. Let's be realistic. This is a lifetime journey. The Christian life is, is cross-country. It's not track and field. We got some track and field people in here, but it's like, but it's cross-country. It's a, it's a jog. It's a slow jog with an occasional Gatorade. All the people that do track and field, they be burnt out, strong, on fire for the Lord, and then be not a Christian no more. What happened? It's just like, it's just, I just think a lot of this stuff is take the verses you've heard, start with the Beatitudes. Try to figure out which one of these am I not and how do I grow in this? What does it look like to grow in this area? That's what I would do. And then next week we'll touch on some other things, but I think start with the verses that were already in the Bible that we already talked about. Someone would also like to know if all those um, 
attitudes and qualities that are that are there in the Beatitudes are requirements for entering into heaven? To have all of them? I, I, I think that grace, grace is amazing. I think the Lord knows who's trying to honor him. That's what I'm going to say. The Lord knows who's trying to honor him. Go after what the Lord reveals to you and keep going to the end. I, those are categories of people that are going to make it to heaven. Does it mean every one of us have to have all of those? I think go after what the Lord reveals to you. So I, the Bible does not say clearly, if you don't have all of these, you don't go. But these are qualities of people who will be there. So the question isn't, do you have all of them? And if you can go after all of them, sweet. But do you have any of them? Do you desire to have any of them? And don't just say yes to you. Of course, we always think we do. Ask other people who know you. Other people might be like, ah, oh, you're more self-righteous than you give yourself credit for. I don't know if you, actually, I've never told you this, but you're very judgmental. <laughs> we always think we're, oh, yeah, I want, okay, ask people who know you for real, that know you. Not just on who see you on Sunday, but like spend time with you. Ask them, hey, what would you think, what do you think about these qualities? What's something that you think I can grow in? And if I know you, ask me, I'll tell you. You can tell me. Um, you used the phrase serious and willful sins a few times, and we've used that a couple times in the past weeks. Um, can you flesh that out a little bit more? On serious and willful sins are sins that are listed in the Bible that people are pursuing without conviction or desire to change. That's what it means. So, so let's just, if you're living in sexual sin, your God is not pleased. And, you, and, and if you're just doing it and it's like you just, then I, God is not pleased with that. He would say you're a liar if you say you know him. I think serious and willful. 1 John 5, 3, he said his commands are not burdensome. But the commands are not burdensome. God's commands are not burdensome to me. Like I, they're not burdensome. They're challenging, but they're not a burden. The burden is like, man, I got to do this. I got to give it. I know some people that feel like that. Serious and willful sin is sin that you are committing consistently. You know it's sinful, and there's no real conviction to change. And you're just going to hope that God just continues to give you grace because there's no immediate consequences for it. That's what it is. It's serious sin. Seri and that's serious because, you know, we, we hope that... We, because God says he'll forgive us, but he knows who's really serious and who's not. So I can try my best to give you the nuances and all of that, but at the end of the day, God knows if you're serious or not, and he will tell you that you were or were not when you stand before him. Our job is to take seriously as best as we can in, with, with, and see it as joy because we're allowed to do that. That's our job. But we, you know, if you come to church not tripping and all that, cool. Like, oh, it, I get it. Some people come to church not tripping. I get it. I understand. But I'm not, you know, that's on you. When you stand up for the Lord, I, you know, I don't really care if people like, like, oh, I don't like what he said. I don't really care about that. Because people, one person won't like something, another person will be like, man, I needed to hear that. So it's just like, you know what? Take what you can take that you can apply, that you can help you honor the Lord and go get it. 
I think there are people in this room who are committing willful sin that they're just not tripping. And they think because there's no immediate consequences that grace is, grace is not that amazing. God is giving you time. He's letting messages like this for you to hear them so you can be like, you know what, I need, we need to go after this. And you can do it, just, but, you just, but a lot of the times we just, you know, we feel entitled to sin because there's pleasure in it or there's this or there's that. And it's like, we all, and we all have them, right? We all have them. Some stuff creeps up on us and we ain't see it. But some stuff is like, ah, we just make excuses for it. And I think over a period of time, those excuses will become a person's reality. I've seen people that I thought were solid in the faith walk away from the faith because eventually the, the sins that they, it just became harder and harder to resist sin. Growth is not a switch that you can turn on and off when you want. The thief on the cross was not the normal way people are saved, but an extension of God's grace to allow people into the kingdom right before they die. We should not live as if, like, you know what, man, I just, I'm going to go in there. At some point, I'm going to take it serious, man. To, that point is today. Scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So I would say that's, that's serious and willful sin. If we see others around us who we think are, are sliding away from the Lord, um, how do we pursue them and, and win them back? Well, first of all, don't, I don't think you can win people back. Don't have that perspective because you'll be disappointed. And I think a lot of us do that. And I, even me as a pastor, I can't force people to obey. People think, like, I got the magic stick. Nah, I just got the truth, and I know how to communicate it. But, like, you can't force people. I can't force anybody, my kids, and nobody. You cannot force people to honor the Lord. Well, you, so, I re, so redefine faithfulness. Faithfulness is not winning people back. If you win them back, mm, that's a gift from the Lord. Faithfulness is having the courage to challenge the things that you see in that person's life. Just pray for the courage. So, and, and, and I think relationship has a lot to do with that. Even as a pastor, certain things I'll be like, you know what, I might, tell, I might ask this person to go talk to them because they have a stronger relationship with them. Because when I show up, it's like, Pastor Kurt is coming. He has to meet with me. You know, so it's like, you know, the principal's office. I just wanted to eat some cupcakes with you and listen to my album. <laughs> but, so again, I think, I think, but I do think we are obligated to, to spur one another on to love and good works. So it depends on how you say it. So it might be like, hey, bro, man, I'm, I'm just, I just, hey, I love you, bro. I'm concerned. I love you, sis. I'm concerned. I feel like you're not really honoring the Lord with that. Or, or, or my famous question, hey, what? fruit of the spirit is that? What fruit of the spirit do you think that is? To me, that's to just cut to the chase. Well, people be like, yeah, hey, so what fruit of the spirit do you think that is? Or what verse do you feel like you get that from the Bible? Because if you start, sometimes when we talk a lot, people be like, well, that's your opinion. That's just what you think. That's your opinion. Okay, well, let's, 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 hey, what, what verse do you feel like that is then? So, I think we're obligated to, to do all of that. Bear one another's burdens. That fulfills the law of Christ. We're obligated to spur one another. Spur means to irritate, to annoy people to good works. It doesn't say be annoying. It says, but you, as a characteristic trait, there's no such thing as jerks for Jesus, right? <laughs> but I do think it is, it's annoying when you're telling people, hey, man, I just think you're tripping right now, bro. 
I'm telling you this because I love you, and I mean, you know, I'm not trying to offend you, but give all the qualifications, but have the courage. And if they take that and don't apply it, you were faithful to the Lord. Now, depending on your relationship, it's going to be different. Like I said, if it's my kids, I'm running after them until whenever. But there are some people It's like, all right, even members of the church, I'll come after you to a certain extent. But after that, it's a wrap. I have other responsibilities and other things to do. I can't chase, keep chasing people. I'm not trying to convince you of this. There are people I've said, listen, I'm probably not the best to meet with you anymore then. I just, it's probably best that you meet with someone else. That's not non-pastoral. It's like, I'm not going to chase you, fam. Jesus told the disciples, look, if they reject you, wipe the dust off of your feet, keep it moving. And there are times I just got to wipe the dust off of my feet and keep it moving. I'm not chasing you. And, and or To some degree, I will, but to some degree, it's like, all right, at this point, all right, I mean, I, I, just, I don't think we should meet again because we've been meeting for a long time and nothing's happening. This is where therapists love that. Therapists will meet with you till you put their kids through college. They will do it. They will meet with you, and if you grow and I grow, as a pastor, after a while, it's like, look, I, my goal is to help you appropriate the grace of God in your life. There are people I meet with, I don't even know if you give or not. It's not a requirement to me. If you need help, I will be in your corner. You know, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if you give. I don't be like, hey, look, check and see how much they gave last year. I don't do that. I just, like, I'm meeting with anybody who needs help. But after a while, it's like, all right, then I just I can't help you then. Because I can't, I'm not going to keep saying the same things over and over and over again. In that sense, then I think you should go see a therapist. Because they will take your money every week. I don't want to take you. I don't want to do that. I want to help you grow for real. I want to help you. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying they just have a different perspective. So I just think go after people, have the courage to do it. And if people don't honor the Lord, don't like, feel like you did something wrong. Like, God rewards faithfulness. Like, it's his job to change people. And just, but, just, but it's our job to say change needs to happen, fam. So. There's a few more questions here that are a little bit more specific to people's individual circumstances. Um, so I won't ask them over the, the mic. But if they you can come talk to me if yeah, they're here. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to the game even if there was one. So, <laughs> so the, the last question um, what was the, the commentary that you used? Pillar New Testament commentary, PNTC. Blue and white comments, my favorite commentary series, Pillar New Testament. I love it. It's uh, D.A. Carson. is a theologian. D.A. Carson is the one who kind of is the moderator of that commentary series. I love it. It's my favorite one. So. I mean, there's other ones I use, but that's my favorite. That's it? All right. Good questions. Next week, Jesus, you know what's funny? Jesus actually gave us the secret to all of this. Jesus said it. He said it with his own words. He gave us the secret to how to do this, actually. And I'm, it's amazing that he said it. It's in his word. He, said he gave the secret to how to do this. How do we put eternity first? He gave us the secret. You know what he said, right? This is just out of Jesus' own mouth. Jesus said, well, actually, I'll talk about it next week. Never mind. Let's do communion. <laughs> That's next week's sermon. Go download my album. It's on, it's on all platforms. Kirk Kennedy, I'm warning you, do not listen to this album. Go to the Kirk Kennedy store, pick up your merch. Do all that. All right, let's. As a matter of fact, where's Natalie at? Now he got the fiddle in the back. Now he got the hat and the hoodie. Mm-hmm. 
Now he loves the Lord. <laughs> Warren got the hoodie on. He loves the Lord. Where's your hat, Slim Dog? Put it on. You love the Lord. <laughs> KurtKennedy.com, baby. All right. I am kidding. Sort of. Let's remind ourselves the reason why we are even trying to be like him. The reason why 1 John says that when we're not like him, we're forgiven. But then it reminds us to keep striving to be like him. The reason why is because the him, Jesus, became a human being, suffered brutally, brutally, not just on the cross, but in the moments leading up to the cross, suffered brutally so that you and I could be forgiven for our sins. The Bible tells us that the only people that who should do this, it's called the Lord's Supper in the Bible. We call it communion. The only people that should do this are people that are striving to be like Jesus. Even if you see your name, is, you don't have many in that blessed list. It just is an emphasis of focus. But you're trying to honor the Lord. Those of us are supposed to do this only because it means something. It doesn't have the value. It's not the actual body of Christ with the doctrine of transubstantiation. No, no, no. This is just a reminder of what Jesus has done. And the only people who should take this are people who are living in light of what Jesus has done. So if that's not you, this is the only part of the Sunday service we'd ask you to not participate in. That's it. But I'd love to talk to you about why we do this and how, can you, how you can get to the point where you do this. If this is you, then let us remember that the only reason why we will see his face is because he became like us. He took on our face so that he could show us his one day. He became like us so that we could become like him. So, Father, we thank you for just your death on the cross, your body that was broken because of our sin. We pray that you would, by your grace, help us to remember, to believe, and to do the works that you require, Lord. We are not trying to allow the concept of grace to stop us from the concept of works. But on your death on the cross and your rising from the dead and then you giving us your spirit is evident that grace works. But for that grace to work, you died. Your body was broken. And so we eat this in remembrance of that. Let's eat this together. And Lord, your blood was shed. Yes, grace works, but blood was shed. So we drink this in remembrance of your blood that was shed for us. Let's drink together. Father, I pray wherever Wherever we are in this room, on the spectrum of our journey in obedience, our trying to become like you, there are varying levels of maturity in this room. None of us are all of those blessed. I'm definitely not. I acknowledge it in this sermon on a couple of occasions. You have shown me the areas that I'm not. But I'm not discouraged. I'm not like walking around my head down. I want to grow in these. Your warnings aren't to give us no hope, 
that will remind us to apply the hope that we already have. So, Lord, help us to apply the hope that we have. And help us to be serious and not dismiss the areas that you're pointing out because we think they're either too hard or we have time. There's no time like the present. Even the world knows actions speak louder than words. So, Lord, help our actions be in conjunction with your words for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, don't forget about the pageant next week. Bring you all the stuff. Bring the kids dressed up. It's going to be fun. It's going to be cool to watch the kids sing and do all that. Some of them ain't going to trip. It's going to, some of them going to trip, literally. It's going to be a blast. All right, don't forget the other announcements that Dana did. And see you when we see you.